Hello and welcome to the Man in the Lion Mask podcast. I'm Dan and I'm joined today by Dom. And in this week's episode, after a flurry of nil-nil draws, we'll be asking where City's goals are hiding. Is it time to see another central midfielder come through the doors at St James Park? And is it time to drop Matt Jay? All this and much more in this week's episode of The Man in the Lion Mask. Welcome back to another episode of the Man in the Lion Mask podcast. Um, I'm here with Dom today and it's our first one since the season started. Lots for us to talk about, so let's get into it. Um, in this one, we'll be reviewing the um, the many nil-nil draws that have happened since we last spoke. Um, games against Bradford, Wickham, Barrow and of course the, um, the 3-0 loss away to, to Leighton Orient. Um, but before we get into, into the games and the performances, um, the transfer window's still open. Dom, I think since we last spoke, we've had a couple of ins and outs. Um, obviously, Joel Randall's move finally got signed off. He's now a Peterborough player and has actually played a couple of games for Peterborough, so he's not, not there as bench fodder. Um, and I doubt that he would be because he's one of only, I think, three or four players that Peterborough have, have broken the £1 million mm-hmm. mark for, reported £1.2 million fee for him with add-ons. Um, I think really, Dom, I mean, you look at the, the three parties involved, Joel, Peterborough and Exeter, it's probably a good deal all round, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, like, we, we've all, we're, we're quite a rational podcast, aren't we, around like transfer business and young, especially when it comes to youngsters and fees and how we've got to get best value for the club moving forward because this is our business model like I know that doesn't really there's a section of the fans actually probably a growing section of the fans who don't really agree with that but like it, it is where it is I think 1.2 million with add-ons is perfectly reasonable amount of money it's a good amount of money um if he makes it, if he starts doing well for Peterborough, gets that extra move, you know, we could be in for a bit more money as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's win-win all around. Peterborough get a good young talent who's already playing a few games for them and and Joel gets to play at that higher level that, you know, you can't begrudge. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty pretty good summation there. Um, and, and yeah, I think that you're right about the £1.2 million fee. I think that that makes him our fourth most expensive export. I think Ollie Watkins was 1.8, Ampadu 1.25 and, and, and Grimes was 1.7. Obviously, transfer fees since Matt Grimes left have, have gone up and up in football. But mm. that still represents, I think, really good business for a player that played 26 games for the club. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not like he had... Like Watkins had like like a few seasons under his belt. So did Grimes. Like Joel Randall had like half a season of the League Two football, which got ended by ended ended by injury. So like one point two million for that and add-ons is pretty good business, to be honest. Definitely, I think it's one that we all saw coming, and one that the club saw coming as well. With just a few days later, um, arguably Randall's replacement coming in. We'll have to see whether or not the club brings in another player in, in Joel's position. Patrick Armand comes in, Podge, as he's affectionately known. It seems that we're getting a, a yearly loan from 
Newport these days after Robbie Wilmot came in last season. Slightly odd one that they've kind of lent us a player when we're arguably a promotion rival, although um, recent results might say otherwise about our prospects this season. Um, But Armand comes in, an experienced striker at this level, obviously hasn't played too many minutes for, for City just yet. But, you know, he's a player that knows the back of the net and maybe he offers something slightly different to, to our front line. Yeah, I think he does offer something slightly different. Although um, what this says about Ben Seymour's future is like a question. Um, the issue is he might offer something different. So does actual Sam Nombe. Like if we, but if we don't play a style of football which suits the striker who's playing, like it's it's a bit academic, really, isn't it? Like he he's a kind of like classic Wenger thing of like fox in the box poacher, um, but like he's not going to thrive if we're just lumping balls at him, like which yeah I think is a like a wider issue that we've got and we'll probably touch on a bit later but um but yeah he could come good for us good old podge like you know he's probably not got like the same level of like pace and stuff that he used to have but like hopefully he's got that kind of instinct in and around the box and we might, he might be able to finish off a few moves but it's whether we like create the moves is the bigger question i feel yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. And and obviously a player who might have done a bit better against those those longer balls coming into the area would have been Alex Fisher who was with us last season. And it's a one-in, one-out for Newport with Alex Fisher. Obviously he'd left the club anyway, but he got a, a contract at Newport. Slightly um, confused at this one. I mean, I didn't mind Alex Fisher. I think maybe you thought slightly more of him than what I did. Um but yeah. but yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure that he's a I'm I'm not sure he's a kind of top seven League Two player if I'm honest. I don't know. I think probably agree with you there. He probably isn't a top top seven League striker, League Two striker. But wasn't this? This might be wrong. This is might be me reading the tea leaves a bit wrong. But like, wasn't the reason why they wanted rid of Podge Armand that he'd fallen out with a. He'd fallen out with people or the manager. And like the that's a bit of a rumor, yeah. You hear the thing you hear about Alex Fisher is like he's a good locker room guy, good presence, like good, like gets on with people, like good, good to have around in the team, kind of keep spirits high, not gonna cause trouble. Like, kind of you get you get rid of a kind of like bad apple or quote unquote bad apple, according to them, and then you bring in this this good guy. Maybe it's just more culture and that like he might get some stats, like he might get some minutes, like throw him on late, punt, punt balls up to him. Like they play in a potato field in Newport. So like, like it might be like something along those lines, but I think it's more, my feeling is this is more kind of like locker room culture good sub to have around good guy in the squad kind of thing, rather than like, he's going to be, starting 20 odd games banging in like asking him to bang in like 10 15 goals this season yeah no that's 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 fair enough um and i guess that you know i guess the argument in favor of fisher is that he never really got that f- 
fair run of games for for City. Bowman was clearly the the yeah. top dog um, under Matt Taylor, and perhaps maybe overused um, with you know some of the fitness issues that that he had and the injuries um, towards the end of his City career. But but yeah, no Fisher. Maybe we'll get a few more starts under Michael Flynn. Um, has to has to we'll have we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, where does that leave the City squad then? Um, I think that we're probably still lacking in some some key areas, and the glaring one um, is probably in central midfield. Dom. Yeah, I actually quite like the look of Dieng. He seems to be quite tidy, get the ball down, but he's not. Him, Atangana, they they don't move the ball forward. They don't progress the ball. Like it's very much sideways, backwards. Like they're they're destroyers in that midfield. They don't then they recycle the possession and give it to other people. You, you, they're not players that you can ask to kind of like drive it forward. Now Harry Kite's got a few minutes now. Um, he might be the answer to that. Um, he's much more of a kind of box-to-box Jake Taylor-esque kind of guy. That's my impression of him. But like, this is his first real season at League Two. Can can we kind of rely on him? If we're looking for like a promotion push, playoff push, can we rely on him to be like this progressing, progressing the ball forward in the centre midfield? Like, it's a bit of a big ask, to be honest. So we we definitely need something because like like Archie Collins is good, but like is he getting better and better every week and every game that he's not playing? I like Archie Collins, but it's not like we're gonna bring back and we're gonna have Paul Pogba in midfield. He's gonna be an upgrade from a kind of progressing, moving the ball forward, etc. But it's not gonna be yeah, it's not gonna be Kev De Bruyne on there like moving it from the eight and like pushing forward. And like, what happens if he goes down again? We need cover. We need depth there. We're making offers. Like we're here, we're making offers. Like players are coming down, they're on trial, but they're just not choosing us for whatever reason. Yeah, and no, I think you're right about Collins. The, the thing with Collins, I think that you're, I think he's a better player than, than the other options that we've got in midfield. But I think it's more to do with the fact that the type of player that he is. He's not that, you know, you've obviously talked about Dieng and Atangana being like the destroyers in midfield. They're the ones who are there to obviously break up, um, break up play. And you've seen that quite well. Dieng's put in um, some, some tactical fouls as they're called, um, which I'm always a big fan of, you know, breaking up those counter-attacks. That's the, that's kind of their job in there, but ball progression isn't their job. Whereas Archie Collins is much better at that. You know, think that the the issue that we found in recent games is that there's no one progressing that ball and you've you've left with Matt Jay having to drop deeper to collect the ball and we're not getting the players close enough around Giovanni Brown and and Sam Nom or whoever is playing up front so hopefully if Collins was to to return we'd kind of see that more balance in the side because at the moment those front three are looking really isolated but you're absolutely right we need that depth and I think that there's almost that over-reliance on on Archie Collins and I think that if we were to bring another player in at the moment whether that's a decision that's been impacted through the injuries that we've got to the squad or whatever um, it's it's probably going to be a, a ball playing central midfielder if if we are to see one 
there's a genuine, like, there should be a genuine discussion at the moment of, and I know it's only been four games, but when Collins comes back, do you drop Matt Jay and play the two, Dieng and Atangana, with, with Collins just in front of them? And then your two strikers. Because uh kind of leads us on to the, the kind of the next issue we wanted to talk about, which was like our lack of goals. And we kind of like almost previewed this earlier, didn't we? I think it was with with Gab Sutton that like expecting Matt Jay to be the same player as he was last season, this season, might like might be a bit of a tall ask. He was like, that might have been the best season Matt Jay will ever have. For him to replicate it again is, is going to be tough for him. But I think the feeling was that if Sam Nom can cut Sam Nombe can come in, score more goals than Bowman and take pressure off Jay from a goal scoring perspective, maybe things would even out almost. And it's early days. Yeah, I know it's early days, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that um, I think you're right, and there's been a real kind of lack of creativity. Um, you know, it's not been a case that that we've we've missed glaring chances, barring the the Nigel Atangana tapping that he missed against Bradford in the opening game. And you know, had he scored that, this might be a very different discussion because we'd have got a goal on the score sheet, we'd have three points on the board. And you know it's it's a very different kind of narrative, but I, th- I think you're right about Matt Jay. I don't think that it's kind of the right time just yet to be talking about his place in the squad because I still think that he's our most creative player in there. Although I do like the look of Giovanni Brown as well. He he's looking very creative, um, but I do think that there's there's two things here with Matt Jay. One is um, the lack of ball progression in the midfield. So he's, as I said, he's having to come deeper to collect the ball and he's getting, or he's leaving those sort of other two front players more isolated and it's really difficult for us to to create those chances. And I think as well that we're playing in a system this season with five at the back where it's a lot more difficult for him to, to operate. You know, last season you had Joel Randall or Randall Williams sort of as runners going beyond Jay and he had those options out wide. Whereas at the moment, the, the fullbacks aren't getting into those positions. They're not overlapping and they're not they're not giving him that, that same option out wide. And I think that he's finding it quite difficult because you look at the kind of the link-up play that you had with Joel Randall last season. And even in pre-season, I think of the Cardiff game and the kind of one-twos that are playing in around the box. And it was it was really good football, but he's lacking that option now. And, and he's kind of getting, you know, that compounded with, um, the lack of Archie Collins or someone that can get the ball out to him quickly enough from the midfield means that he's not, you know, he, he's not able to to distribute out to Giovanni Brown or to Sam Nombe. But, you know, that's that's just the way that I see it. I think that hopefully if we can get another midfielder in or Collins comes back from injury soon enough, it, fortunes might change a bit. But I, I still think you're right that, you know, he's, we've got to, you know, maybe think that, yeah, last season was, you know, an overperformance of, of where Matt Jay is as a football player, just like potentially Randall Williams two seasons ago 
had an overperformance of, of of his level as a football yeah. player at that time, um, and and kind of regressed beyond the mean um, yeah. last season um, as well. But but that's just the way that I see it. I think I I, I get your point with the with the, the formation. I think we haven't got. There's been a lot of until obviously the injury, which is has really set us back. Like Sparks was an outlet down the left. A lot of our play, there'd be a lot of stuff on the right and then the opposition would gravitate over and then Sparks would be free on the left and you kind of put put Sparks through. And it does seem that we've been working on that. So obviously with Sparks now gone down, the fullbacks have got to play some role, but we're going forward. But obviously Taylor seems to have, at least earlier on this season, prioritised being stable at the back and having clean sheets, keep trying to keep a clean sheet because if they if the opposition don't score, at least you got a point, et cetera, et cetera. The order. But that the problem with that and the, what we've touched on about the, the lack of progression through the midfield is there's a big void in the middle of the midfield in the midfield and our ball and the ball, we just send the ball around the out, outside either um, through the through the wing backs or just punting punting it into the channel. Now the issue is is like or punting it up to the forward. Like the issue is that we don't have a forward who does that anymore. Like he was fine with Bowman. Like first game of the season, like it was an obvious tactic that we the goal every goal kick, regardless of the side would be fired towards the wing back, either Sparks or Key, for them to challenge for the header. Now, it was an obvious tactic. It happened every single one. We never won a single one of those headers because Jack Sparks and Josh Key don't win headers. If you're going to ask me where the goals are coming from, I don't know, really. I really don't know. Like, because we're not even like threatening at set pieces, to be honest. Yeah, and it, I, I guess it kind of it, it speaks volumes that you look at the Wickham game, and obviously it's a cup game yeah. and a different setup. With well, it's not a different setup. You had different players on the pitch, and it's a bizarre situation where Wickham were down to I think nine men by the end of it. But probably the most progressive player on the pitch ended up being Jordan Dyer on the left hand side of the, the back three. He was stepping out from the fence with the ball looking for that forward pass. And that's not really a sustainable way to set up a football team to win, especially not in League Two, if you're relying on your, your left centre-back to, to to find that that ball. I think that, as always with Exeter City fans, there's an element of overreaction here because the performances, barring Leighton Orient, which was absolutely awful, I think it's the worst performance that I've seen us turn in since um, we all watched it get absolutely dominated um, for 90 minutes against Northampton at Wembley. Barring that, though, the performances haven't been that bad. It's just that we haven't been creating anything. And you look at the the expected goal, goals values and it, it, it tells that story. Um, so against Bradford, um, we had 0.9 expected goals. They had 1.3. Leighton Orient had 1.7. We had 1.6, but that's obviously including a penalty. Barrow had 1.9 last night and we had 0.3. So we, we're really not 
creating anything near enough to to score at the moment. And just actually on, as I mentioned, the penalty there, Matt Jay. Obviously, we've we. It feels a bit harsh that we. It feels like we've dragged him through the the coals a bit here um, mm. in this in this podcast, but. I mean, there was obviously going to be a time when that penalty technique caught up with him, and um, it was yeah. it was this game. It's it's not a great way to take penalties. It's great when it works, but I think he's been getting away with it for a bit too long. Look, I think he's going to come good, and I think yeah. that as soon as players come back from injury, you know, when Sam Nombe comes back, when Archie Collins hopefully comes back, um, we we will see him increase his production, but. Yeah, at the moment, it's difficult to see where the goals are coming from. Um, Sam Nombe, obviously, has only played, I think, one game competitively yeah. for us. And so it's it's difficult to draw conclusions this early, and it's not exactly what you want to be doing. But, yeah, we're, we're looking a bit devoid of, uh, of ideas. The one player who hasn't looked devoid of ideas, apart from Jack Sparks, who you mentioned looks look, look good this season, I think against against Wickham, I, I turned to you and I said that he's he's looking like he's going to be you know, potentially our next our next big sale of a player because he's either he had a really bright start to the season. Um, but apart from Sparks, Giovanni Brown's been a bit of a bright spot as well. Yeah. He looks like um he looks like a player who, you know, he's he's got a good link up play in the final thirds, he's got a bit of pace, he can take a man on and he's got that physicality as well. Um could he be a bit of the answer? Obviously he's playing a bit deeper at the moment. Maybe if he got pushed up in a two I think I think the issue there is that it's every in the same way as like you're saying that Matt Jay is getting dragged deeper, like Brown is getting dragged deeper, isn't he? Because like he has to he has to come and link his kind of job is to come and link and stuff as well, and because he's not a guy who sits on the shoulder like Nombe or Seymour. Um, he's a guy like you say comes and links but if the person who you're supposed to be linking with is like 20 yards away on the halfway line you've got to come and and I think I think we're putting this might be putting a lot of stock on like Archie Collins coming back and and, and transforming this but like it, if that does come back and Archie does come back and we can move the ball centrally and forward I think that means Matt Jay's further up, up the field, which means Javan, the kind of intricate play that you can tell that Matt Jay is in, Matt Jay's got and that Giovanni Brown's got the potential of doing, will be done further up the field where we can hurt opposition. Now, Taylor doesn't seem to have changed the system to re- represent the players he's now got. Like the system and the style of play seems to be the same, but the players have changed. Maybe I'm doing tailor a bit of the service and stuff is going to change now and like the fact there's lots of players missing means that he's he's sticking with what he knows what the squad knows get us through the first few games get people in through the door get people back from injury and then we might become a bit more progressive but this is a team who like scored the second amount of goals last season in the league and to create 0.3 expected goals away at Barrow is just a bit depressing, to be honest. And this moves us on to the next, what we were talking about, the defensive solidity. The back five has helped, the formation has helped. What's also helped is the fact that we've kind of got like a League One championship level quality goalkeeper. He's actually pretty good. I think everyone's kind of like, 
going, oh, he can't come for crosses. He's not very good coming for crosses. Well, if he was kind of good coming for crosses, he wouldn't be playing for us, would he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, if if every if if all these players could do exactly what they want, like exactly, they wouldn't be playing for us. Like, yeah, no, that is a very fair point. He's, he's high, an excellent, yeah, he's an excellent he's shot stopper. He's an excellent shot shot stopper, and he can kick. He seems good with his communication. Yeah, he flaps at crosses, but he actually comes and claims crosses as well. So, I think he's. He's kind of like arguably so far the best signing we've made uh, this summer. So I can't I can't really fault it there. The other the other obviously upgrade upgrade that we've had in defence is George Ray, who has been great, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Almost as as I described, almost like a performing seal uh, in in the back of that the heart of that defence. I mean. Against Wickham, they were just kind of throwing it up up the field, um, and he was heading absolutely everything away. Yeah. The, the downside to that is that, and you know, I think that we have been good and solid at the back. Maybe even you could accuse Matt Taylor of you being really harsh, a bit of a an overcorrection this season, because obviously last season we were really leaky. We're throwing mm. away two nils or you know one nil or something. You, yeah. turning them into draws when we should have been winning. Yeah. Um, so maybe if you're really being harsh on Matt Taylor, it's a bit of an overcorrection and we're focusing too much on the defence this season and it's it's at the cost of our attacking threat. The the one vulnerability that I think we do have, and Bradford exploited this well, Leighton Orient devastated us with it, is that we're quite slow in defence. Um, mm. Against pacey sides, against sides who... Um, play the ball over the defence, especially when we're playing a high line, we look really vulnerable. Um, so that's 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 the one downside. But other than that, you know, I, I think that that George Ray's been been a really good addition. And then the the lads that have come in and played alongside him, Alex Hartridge has looked good. Jordan Dyer looked great against Wickham. Grounds, a lot of people, I think he's going to be a bit of a whipping boy for us. Um, because he is quite slow, but I think that he's done all right. Um, but the the pick of the lot so far, um, and it's bizarre considering where he was 12 months ago, it's been Pierce Sweeney yet again. He's been absolutely fantastic for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that we wouldn't be sat here with three clean sheets in four games if he hadn't have ditched Swindon after they didn't pay him and returned to us. Yeah, I can't really fault Sweeney. Um, well, except for his lack of pace, but he's still, I think he got team of the week as well this week, like an official EFL team of the week. He's been great. I think Hartridge coming back gives us a little bit more pace at the back. And he's not an Olympic sprinter, but he can cover some ground. Like he's not as kind of lumbering as grounds. Um, but having said that, I don't think Grounds has disgraced himself. Like he's not disgracing himself at week two. It's not like we've I mean, got... apart from that red card. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but like no, but from like I don't think we've got Rory McCardle back there. Like yeah, no, I, Rory McCardle. I think it just didn't work out at Exeter City, and I think that there's. I mean, there's clearly a good player there. The man played at Wembley in a League Cup final. 
Yeah. Like he's he's a good player, but it just kind of didn't work out and he wasn't the right fit for the side. And I get why Matt Taylor brought him in. And he obviously has got a high level of professionalism. And I, I, I guess a bit like you were saying with uh, Alex Fisher earlier, he was a good person to have around the changing room and like in around the squad. Um, but it, it didn't really work out. And I think that we're much stronger for having Alex Hartridge got another year under his belt. We've got that experience of grounds, but but George Ray yeah, has been the, the biggest addition. And even in the air, which I think everyone expected was the real kind of benefit of bringing McArdle in so that he'd had that physicality and that yeah. dominance in the air, especially after that Northampton defeat at Wembley. I think that's what Matt Taylor was looking for. But George Ray looks like the player that maybe we should have brought in last season instead. Yeah, I have been impressed by Ray. I agree with you that maybe Taylor's kind of like overcorrected on defensive stability. Because I think what was costing us last season, especially earlier on in the season, was like we concede early and then we we try and score to get back into the game. Obviously, that's really hard to do that every single game and we found it really tough. But now we're like, we're not scoring. We're not even creating chances. And then teams are beating us anyway. Well, one team is beating us anyway. So I don't think we'll see any more defensive additions. I think the additions, if we're going to make the additions, they've got to come in the midfield. I'd almost like to see maybe one or two midfielders. Uh, I think we need another attacker, especially a wide attacker. Because... Mm. I might be wrong here, but I don't think we're going to be playing five at the back all season. Yeah. I think we might at some point change to the kind of 4-5-1, 4-3-3 that we were kind of playing last season at times. Yeah. Um, but we don't currently, especially with Sparks out, we don't have the personnel to play that. Even if Joe Randall was still there, I still think we needed, I think we said in the pod, we still needed an extra winger attacking midfielder. Mm. And that's that that kind of gap is even more highlighted now. It's just whether the club can attract that those players, basically. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think it's been a bit of a theme this summer that that yeah, maybe the money's been there, but you know, a, a club that's as remote as Exeter City isn't as much of an attraction as one that's you know a Walsall or yeah you know I think the club needs to do a better a better image of like a better brand of like brand image here because like it's not it's Exeter it's like it's not Truro yeah yeah St Ives like you can get on the train to London in two hours they're not moving to like like you could like there used to be players who lived in Bristol who drove like commuted down for the like for training. Like we're not like the back end of nowhere. Like I can I can see why players short term contracts maybe one two years you don't want to keep moving your family around except like especially if you've got a, a lot of players have a lot like young kids young families you don't want to keep moving around. But there is a kind of like, so is it, is it Barrow who've moved their training facility to Manchester? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Makes sense because Barrow is legitimately not, it's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from Barrow. It's like, 
Bristol's an hour away. Like it's not like insurmountable. Plenty of people live in Exeter and work in, in Bristol. Like I think the club needs to do a better thing of trying to sell this to players. I I do I do find it strange that we're struggling to 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 get these players to move down here. The thing is, I, I mentioned Walsall there as a as an example of you know a club that's perhaps better connected through transport to a lot of the, the places where these players might be coming from. But I mean, it, given the choice between living in Warsaw and living in Exeter, like I'm not I'm not even going to go into that conversation because like it's a ridiculous question. It does seem strange to me, to be honest. It just does seem strange that players are not coming down. The other side of it is then you've got if players if you if you can't sign players permanently to come down, but you still need the players, the need for the players is still there, but you can't sign them permanently, then you adapt, don't you? Or you should adapt. And the loan market opens up. Well, it's odd that barring our yearly loan from Newport, which I guess doesn't really count because it's a team at the same level. Yeah. We've not seen a loan come in for a good couple of seasons now, yeah. which like, feels odd. Maybe maybe it's a thing of like, if, if your kind of raison d'etre is, as a club is to bring through young players and then sell them on, if you are loaning another young player for another team, you're essentially doing the hard work for them, yeah. training them up and allowing the other team to sell them on yeah. to make a profit. So if that's your operating structure, it doesn't make sense to do loan players. But it only works if you're able to attract players to sign to develop. Yeah. If you're not able to attract players to sign and develop, then you have like, but you still need the players you have to adapt to the situation that you're in and maybe loan players is, is, is where we need to go because ultimately, like, the fans want to see us push for the playoffs again and uh, there's quite a lot of disquiet at the moment. Yeah, I think that, yeah, the mood, it's starting to change a little bit on, on the terraces. I think that Matt Taylor's been given enough time that he can now call this team his own. There's just one hmm. player that's left over from the one... From the squad that he inherited in Pierce Sweeney. Pierce Sweeney. He, yeah, Pierce Sweeney. Even he left this summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and Taylor's so, tried his hardest to get rid of him. Yeah. So several occasions. So yeah, I think, you know, I think part of it is that Matt Taylor, you know, the honeymoon period is definitely over. I think that Matt Taylor's at times overpromised and kind of almost given the fans what they wanted to hear rather than what yeah. necessarily the situation has been. But you know, at, at the same time. You've got to have a bit of perspective because the club came within, for the third time in four or five seasons, the club came within 90 minutes of playing League One football, yeah. you know, under Matt Taylor. And that was just his second year in charge. So there's got to be a bit of perspective. And I think that he's doing a fairly decent job. I'm not sure that many managers would have done better. Mm. And certainly at this level, at this kind of wages that we'd be offering and the kind of prestige of the club I'm not sure that we'd have got many better managers in um, yes but yes. but I think there's a feeling that maybe you know Matt Taylor has been given enough time now and he's still kind of showing some of those managerial naiveties that that maybe he should have should have grown out of now but we'll, we'll wait and see because it's it's still like obscenely early in the season to be drawing 
conclusions mm. about where we're going to end up. I mean, the the classic example was like the the first season we got to the playoffs um, in recent well in the recent playoffs yeah. spell. Um, we were second bottom in November. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. ended up we probably should have gone up automatically that season. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, things can change around really quickly. And like I said, if the Nigel tap-in had gone in against Bradford, we'd be having a different conversation. If we win against Bristol Rovers on Saturday, the conversation changes again. So things can change quickly. Um, and we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. And the, the transfer window hasn't closed either yet. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Speaking of Bristol Rovers then, just before we, we head off for today, big game. I'm sure that Joey Barton's going to get lots of... Um, warm receptions from the big bank um but but what do you what do you see coming from this one um well they've not had the best of starts either have they bristol rovers i can see a a boring nil nil where both sides nothing nil nil yeah i i can honestly see i can honestly see that bristol rovers will come down for a draw and given where we are at the moment, confidence, squad, injuries. I think we accept their invitation of a draw, basically. And I think that's where we are. Um, I know that's that's it's going to be a tough watch. Um, but and it'll probably there'll be a I don't think there's going to be many t- uh, Matt Taylor tactical genius chance um at the game, but I think I think that's my yeah nil nil would be my prediction. Fair enough. I'm gonna go. I think we're we're gonna break our, our duck, and I think we're gonna score. Um, but I think we'll just score the one. I'm not gonna get too ahead of myself here. Um, mm. So I think we'll score the one. I'm a bit torn whether to go with my head or my heart. My heart says one nil, but my head probably says a one one. Um, so so yeah, I'll probably go one one. And and look another team that's quite fancied this season in Bristol Rovers so I don't think a draw is disgraceful at all Um, and yeah yeah, I think they probably are going to come to us looking for the draw so so we'll have to wait and see Um, but that's how that's how I think it'll go Um, and I think that pretty much wraps us up for for today then Yeah. yeah yeah cool well thanks for coming on and we'll see you next week yeah see you soon Thanks for listening to the Man in the Lion Mask podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do give us a like and subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. You can now also listen to us on the Man in the Lion Mask app, where in addition to mine and Dom's dogs at tones, you can find lots of news and opinions and hopefully some guest content too. For all the details on how to download, just head to our Twitter page at Lion Mask Pod.